Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. The thing about trusting God is that's just it. It's about trusting God. It's about knowing that you know, that you know, that you know that his grace is sufficient. That whatever it is you're doing, as long as you keep your heart right, you don't have to be able to explain everything that occurs. You just have to be faithful and keep walking with him, knowing that his wisdom simply is far above ours. And it's always been amazing in my life in 35-some years that I've walked with Christ. There have been so many things that I have, quote-unquote, not understood at the moment of their happening. But again, it's only years later sometimes that you all of a sudden you see how absolutely perfect God was in what he did. Had he done it any other way, it just simply wouldn't have been fruitful or wouldn't have produced the life that he intended. And this is why this is called a life of something called faith. It's a life of faith. It's not a life of perfect understanding. And you really have to catch that. Because, again, you've heard me say so many times in this fellowship, you know, we've been trained our entire life. We go to school, we go to university, and we're taught to logistically figure, think through, come up with a solution, do our best to make sure we fully understand, we fully comprehend what our thoughts are, what our plans are, and then we step out and begin to move towards completion or fulfillment of those plans or ideas. And, again, it's absolutely the opposite with God. And this is why one of the things I'll get to this morning, you know, you can, the world, and sadly, some 90, I just, uh, just about finished reading. I'd never read, it's been out for long, Danny Silk's book on uh, Culture of Honor. Oh, my God, what a great, great book. Boy, I've got some convicted in some areas. It's really blessed me. But it's true, like something like 98% of the body of Christ, whether they realize it or not, are endeavoring to live from earth to heaven. In other words, I'm try- I'm gonna- this is how I live. God, I need you to help this. But they don't understand that God's plan is that we live from heaven to earth. That we really understand heaven's ways first and understand what that's all about. But anyhow, that's what I'm going to get into this morning. But now, Father, as we look at this this morning, as I look forward here and speak some more about this issue, what faith looks like, I'm asking you again, Holy Spirit, that you really will open the eyes of our understanding. And again, I've been saying a lot lately, but that verse says in Ephesians that you might open the eyes of our heart. And I really want people to hear that, Father. You don't want the eyes of our brain open. You want us to see with our heart what your truths are. We've got to see it with our heart. It's not about seeing it with your head and your understanding. We have to see it with our heart. It has to be a heart revelation got to be revealed to her heart. So, Father, please help me again this morning and do indeed touch my mouth, be with my mouth, as you said to Moses, you would be with his mouth, and help me to communicate these truths in such a way that people really do go away rejoicing because they've got some understanding in their spirit now about what these things are about. So, Father, I do, I trust you as much as I understand how to, and again, I yield myself to you. And I ask you, Father, to just take us all from strength to strength. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Truth. Amen. So be it. Right? Okay, like last, you know, the the heart verse I've been working from, remember, is Romans 4 is back there, where, again, why why do we need to continue to really teach what faith looks like? Is because, well, Romans 3 says, Romans 3.27, I think it is, says, it talks about that we're not, made righteous by works, but by rather, it's called the law of faith. I've taught this at church many times, but I really want you to catch this. Remember, Jesus came from heaven to earth. John 3, you know, he told Nicodemus, you got to be born of the spirit as well as born of the flesh. He said, I'm trying to speak to you about heavenly things, but he said, if you don't understand when I talk to you about earthly things, it's going to be difficult for you when I try to speak to you about heavenly things. But again, if you can just catch this, Jesus Christ speaks from another realm. He doesn't speak from here. He's from somewhere else. He's from another dimension. And he came to bring heaven to earth. It's just that simple. 
and everything. His teaching wasn't earthly wisdom, right? I mean, these are the things you have to go ahead and say, yes, this is something I'm going to accept as true. He came to bring wisdom from this other realm, the realm of heaven, our creator. But the Bible is full of spiritual laws. And this is the illustration I've given all of my preaching life. We all know that there are natural laws, like laws of physics. And the one I always use is simply like the law of gravity. Will you agree with me that the law of gravity, like in this right here, you know, this atmosphere, the law of gravity works every single time, doesn't it? Because it's what's called an absolute law. It's a law of physics. You know what? You put, like I was a chemistry minor when I was in college, you put two molecules of hydrogen and one molecule of oxygen together, and you know what you get every time? One drop of water. Every time. You will never, ever, 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 ever put two molecules of hydrogen or one molecule of oxygen together and it make anything else because God made it that way, right? So there's these absolute laws. And physics, the laws as far as they know, and I mean like the law of gravity and these other natural laws we can talk about, they are just that, they're natural laws. But because they're laws of this realm, they call them laws because they work every time. Now, can you accept that? Yeah. I mean, every time. There's no, there's no turning. There's no differentiation. There's things you can do to try to escape, like law of gravity, through thrust and what have you, you know, like with rockets. But that's not the point. The point is, these are natural laws. Well, again, all the years I've said this, I still hope you hear it. God's laws are super natural. See, there's natural laws of physics that are absolute. But then there are super. Super just means a higher plane. There are supernatural laws. And my, my statement to you is if we can believe that natural laws, like the law of gravity, is absolute, I mean, how much more absolute would a supernatural law be? In other words, God made them. They work every time. There's no slippage. You hear me? There's, there's no room for error because he made them. And like I've been saying every week, I, I, and I want to say, he's perfect. And you've got to see the word perfect a lot bigger than what your definition may be. It means everything he's done is perfect. If he's spoken it, it's perfect because perfection spoke it. It will never change. Psalm 89, 37 again says, you know, that I, my covenant will I not break or alter, neither will I alter those things which have come out of my lips. I will never change what came out of my lips. Now, did you hear that? I will never change what came out of my lips because he's absolute. He's perfect. He didn't try something and it failed. <laughs> he's perfect. He is. We're imperfect, but he's perfect. So his laws are perfect. They don't need to be massaged. They don't need to be tried to change. But again, we, mankind, that's what we try to do. We want to, as you've heard over and over, we try to make God in our image to fit our understanding. I said we try to make God fit our understanding. And then we try to help our friends understand the way we understand. <laughs> but like I said, you cannot explain God. He's never asked us anywhere to explain him. What he has asked us is this thing called belief. He said, believe. All I've ever asked you to do is believe. But to believe takes this animal called faith. Faith. So in Romans 3, it says the law, faith is a law. It's a supernatural law. Now, again, the scriptures we went from in Romans 4 is where we looked at Abraham, and it said that Abraham, that the promise, the promise of inheritance that God gave to Abraham doesn't come through works, but it came through faith. Promises, the promise comes to, came to pass because of Abraham's faith. Then you go down four scriptures later, it said, therefore, 
inheriting the promise, but any promise, inheriting God's promises, if God promised and if God's perfect, then the promise is perfect. I said the promise is perfect. Another verse says scripture can't be broken. But there in Romans it says, therefore inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith. Probably I don't have it. It's the outcome of faith. It depends entirely on faith. And the reason for that is so that it might be given as an act of grace. In other words, that it might be a gift. But inheriting any promise is totally dependent on this thing called faith. Okay? So last week, one of the things we did, we looked at Jesus healing how many, so many people. We looked at several verses. We're going to look at a few more in a moment as well, but from another angle. And we saw, I said, one of the ways faith what one of the ways faith looks like that you can see is that when Jesus released his faith, he released it by speaking. He never prayed. You can't find a verse where Jesus prayed for the sick. He spoke to the sick. And again, that's something we have to get a hold of. Faith doesn't look like prayer alone. Jesus prayed so that he might know what to say. Jesus prayed so that he could make right choices. But the release of power was then what he said, what he spoke. Now, you and I have been created in his image and in his likeness. And again, two places in Scripture, it says, as you, he, Jesus is praying and he talks, and he says, as you, Father, have sent me, what? so have I sent them. In other words, just the mission that you've sent me with, I've sent them with. So we have the same mission. But you have to understand again about God being just. God Almighty equipped his son with these laws that are supernatural. And so for us to be in this world as he is in this world, for us, to, again, as I was sent into this world, so have I sent them. We have to have the same tools. I said we have to have the same laws and tools at our disposal. Otherwise, we could not do the works that he said we would do that would be the same as his and even more so, right? I'm just saying, see, these are so basic and so foundational, but you have to catch this. See, my longing, uh, I, I get tempted to say the word fear, but I don't mean fear, but uh, I know that from a teaching gifts vantage point, that it's incredibly easy for people to just get caught up in gathering more and more information. But information in itself isn't what sets us free. See, uh, it's, it is this word revelation. Uh, the word for revelation in the Greek is apocalypto. It literally means to take the cover off something. It means something's always been there. See, the cover's on it, though, but it's always been there. But suddenly, a lid comes off, and you see what's in it. Yes. And see, this is the thing about, like, the teachings of faith or anything else, or the teachings on the finances, the tithing, like we taught a few weeks ago again. I want, you need to be informed. That's what teaching does. It brings you information. But see, lit it, the truth of the matter is, then really 85% of the responsibility is on you because you're the one that has to work with it until it's not just information, until it's revealed where your heart, like I said, I keep praying that the eyes of your heart be open. That's what Jesus prayed, in, I mean, Paul prayed in Ephesians 1. You need to see this stuff with your heart. He said, I need these things to be to be." to be engraved upon the fleshly tablets of your heart. And that's why he said things like receive the engrafted word, that means engraved, which is able to save your souls. See, what will save the way you think, because the way you think will determine what your future is going to look like, is having your mind changed by seeing what the truth is. So we have to go from information to revelation. I don't know how else to say it, but that's how that happens is, number one, making the decision to keep coming because faith does come. It says the, the, the law of faith, one of the aspects of this law of faith is that faith 
comes or grows from constant hearing. It does not say faith comes from having heard something once. It says faith, and that's what the Greek word is. It, faith comes from hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing continually. And so that's one thing you can do, and that's why, you know, again, I commend those of you who just continue to come. So you may not even know what's happening, but because it's the law of the Spirit, just by you keep your continual coming, faith is growing in your spirit. You are, whether you realize it or not, more and more is happening to you. You're actually believing more. You're becoming stronger in the spirit. And that's what God's word does. It begins to actually transform you from the, this world's way of thinking into this heavenly way. Like I said, it's not earth to heaven. He's trying to get heaven into us. He's trying to get heaven through us because heaven's the only thing that makes us different. Otherwise, we'll just be like the rest of the world. I do not want to be a church that looks like the rest of the world. I don't see, I don't want you to look like the rest of the world. But see, what I've learned over many hard years, I can't make you change. I can't make you change. And again, being a student of the scriptures, it's amazing. Even when the incredible miracles, signs, and wonders that happen, like with Israel, you know, I mean, you know, they see the Red Sea part, they walk across on dry ground. I mean, think of the phenomenal things they actually were witness of. They walked in the middle of wall of water on the left and wall of water on the right, you know, and that, that actually happens, you know, and they go through the other side and Moses puts that rod of and <laughs> the whole thing and all, all of Pharaoh's chariots and horsemen are, are destroyed. And I mean, they witness things like that. They witnessed Moses speak to a rock and water come out of it. I mean, that was the norm. This rock followed them for 40 years. They're around this stuff, and yet time after time after time, they complain, and they murmur, and they complain, and they murmur. Supernatural manifestations of provision, actually wilderness blessings is what they are. <laughs> That's a whole other teaching. Are happening round about them, but they still, whatever. I mean, God's people are strange. I was sharing with Jews when I read Exodus this morning. One of the most phenomenal passages in Exodus that always blows my mind is, remember when Korah, uh, uh, Nathan, and Abihu, when they continue to the 250 princes of Israel come up and they begin to complain against Moses again and say, Moses, you take too much upon you. You're not the only holy ones around here. We're all holy people. And basically because it says they were people of a distinction. In other words, they were more educated. They were some of the stronger people in that kind of thing. Education can hurt you if you're not careful. <laughs> it can begin to cause you to lift, be lifted up because, again, education does not help you understand spiritual things. It just doesn't. But they said, you know, who is it? And Moses falls on his face again. God, please. But he says, okay, okay. Those, he said, tomorrow, about this time. He said, all of you that are uh, want to stay with Korah and Nathan, Nathan, Nadab and Abihu, you, okay, it's your call. But he said, the rest of you come away from their tents and come over here. He said, because if the Lord doesn't do something brand new, he said, then, you know, then whatever. But, of course, what happens is what? The whole earth, before Moses said tomorrow, I'm sorry, I was wrong there. Before Moses finishes speaking, the earth itself, remember, opens up and swallows all of these people and says, alive into hell. Alive. Now, I always say this. That would have impressed me. That would have marked me a little bit. That would have been a different Sunday. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I, you know, if I went home, if today... Uh, something, whatever, and you know, I, the second half of the church opens up right now and is swallowed alive to hell. The people up here, that would you'd probably talk about it just a little bit. You, I mean, you know, my God. But, but the Bible says, then it says, the next morning, the next morning, the next morning, it says the people rose up to complain against Moses. And I wrote in my Bible, dumb, stupid, double dumb, triple dumb, stupid. How, you know, you just want... But that's us, God's people. Anyhow, you can see all these things, but see, walking with God, remember Jesus, this one we call our Lord. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Part of us, there's a part of us, don't mishear me. I love seeing things. I want to see a billion times more. But I have to be careful because, again, the, uh, we, and Jesus is the one who said an evil and a wicked generation seeks after a sign. He said that, not me. 
So with all of our desire to see this, at the same time, you have to be aware, I, I, my faith is not dependent upon my seeing something. Not ultimately. My faith is dependent upon what I believe. Do I believe what he said? So this is why faith, you've got to catch it. It's much bigger than we think. It's not just a little side issue. Jesus taught faith. But so again, I want you to see that. Now, like I said, he's, he's perfect. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses real quick. 1 John 1, 5 says this, God is light. And again, I, this is to continue along just about the idea. I want you to see some more verses about his perfection. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. No, not any. I mean, there's no darkness. I said none. You know what I just saw two days ago? Really cracked me up. I had no idea. There was this teaching I was looking at or reading this article, and it had a picture and a match. It just, you know how a shadow, like if I lit, a, if you light a match, you try this. If you light a match and hold it like real, real, very near the wall, right? And, you know, and the light is shining towards the wall. You see the shadow of the match on the wall? You can picture that, right? But you know what? You know what you see when you have a lit match? You only see the stick. The fire gives no shadow. You've got a stick. All you can see is a stick, but you can't see the flame. There's no shadow of the flame because God's light, and in light, there's no darkness. There's nothing that can be a shadow. See, we, we, we God, I, I, I want you to understand that when he gives us these instructions about how to live and what faith looks like, it's perfect. Why do we try to fight that? Why do we try to live another way when our Father, our God, who is absolute perfect, can't change? It, it just can't change. Uh, Exodus 6, 8. If you can throw that up there, just the last half. I just want to see this last half. Just another little statement about him. The very last, he said, uh, he said, I will bring you into the land concerning which I lifted up my hand and swore that I would give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord. You have the pledge of my changeless omnipotence and faithfulness. Changeless. Again, I just want you to see, he's not going to change for you, and he's not going to change for me. We need to change for our own benefit and see how he does things. But now this is the verse, another one, this next Hebrews 6, starting to verse 16. Hebrews 6, starting to verse 16. This, I don't know, this spoke so loudly to me again, but this is where, again, the writer of Hebrews is talking about um, just the absolute truth of God swearing his covenant in about, you know, three or four verses here. And he says, he says in verse 16, again, Amplified Bible, he said, it's true, men indeed swear by a greater than themselves. And with them in all disputes, the oath, an oath, an oath is more than a promise. We're going to mention that in a moment. And with them in all disputes, the oath taken for confirmation for confirmation, is final and then strived. In other words, in matters of law or anything else throughout history, once an oath was made, that was it. It was understood. I said it was understood. That's it. It doesn't change. An oath's been taken, Right? Verse 17, accordingly also, accordingly God also, in his desire, in his desire to show more convincingly and beyond doubt to those who were to inherit the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose and plan, he intervened and mediated with an oath. Now, read that verse about 27,000 times. We're the ones now who are to inherit the promises of God. Why, again? Because he loves the lost. The lost need to see that our God is the one true God. The lost needs to see that our God lives, that our God, when he says something, it happens, he means it. Like I said, this has to be seen with the human heart, the human spirit, more than understood with the human brain. 
But he goes on to say, so let me read that again. Accordingly, God also in his desire to show more convincingly. In other words, he loves us so much, he's trying to go beyond just saying, I promise this. He said, I want to do everything I can to bring you to a place where you're convinced that what I say is real. In his desire to show more convincingly and beyond doubt to those who were to inherit the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose and plan intervened and mediated with an oath. I mean, there's so many things here. I'd like to point my finger at each of and every one of you and, and just from that verse and say, please, please know, again, like Emmanuel began to sing about the love of God, the love of God. There's every, everything, the entire revelation of God, his entire desire is that we see his goodness. Goodness is not a light matter. The word seems too shallow, but it's all about goodness. This is, like I said, it's a key to success. It's a key to victory in armies and battles because, like I said, it's, it's not just something done for the heck of it when, you know, the armies go out and they're, what they do is they go out saying the Lord is good and his mercy and his loving kindness endure forever. The Lord is good, for the Lord is good. They said it over and over again. Around the tabernacle of David, there are people that did that, 2,000 people doing that 24 hours a day in hourly squads. The Lord is good. The Lord, I mean, think about something. What's heaven trying to do? What's heaven, what is heaven trying to do when he wants this said never-endingly, never-endingly, that he never wants this ever to be ceased? The Lord is good. The Lord is good and his mercy and his loving kindness endure forever. The Lord is good. I, it's almost as if he wants us to figure, he wants us maybe to think that he's good. Yes. <laughs> I said he really wants us to think he's good. So you do understand we have an enemy that does anything and everything he can with false teaching, with heretical information, all kinds of stuff, anything to try to get people to think that, well, God's evil. Or that sometimes God's just not as good as he might be. Or No, but see, this is where you have to come to this place. He's absolute. Either he's absolute or he isn't. This is something you have to come to grips with, too. When there's a problem, the problem is on our end. The problem is not on God's end. You just need to accept that because it'll take a whole lot of frustration out of your life. Then he goes on to say in verse 18, this was so. Well, let me read 17 again so it comes in context. Accordingly, God also, in his desire to show more convincingly and beyond doubt to those who were to inherit the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose and plan for your life, he intervened and mediated with an oath. This was so that by two unchangeable things, two unchangeable things, what are the, according to this verse, what's the two unchangeable things? What's it say? His promise and his oath. And see, the thing about an oath is, what you learn if you study it, I don't have time to take you through it. I looked at it a lot last week. An oath is something that goes beyond promise. In other words, I, I promise you I'm going to do this. But then, like you said, an oath happens between, before witness and what have you, but an oath is much bigger. An oath is like something that goes beyond the necessity an oath is something that brings greater weight to the promise. Again, the whole picture that I'm trying to get to is when God made promises, he made promises that he will never break. I said he will never break. The issue is not whether or not God's word is true. The issue is will we really learn what faith looks like Will we really begin to cooperate with what the Bible, the Bible does instruct us, guide us into as far as what the law of faith looks like, how it functions, like in seeing Jesus speaking to sickness and disease, and how it's released, which is what we're going to get to in a bit. So this was so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, now listen to this, in which it is impossible Say it's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible for God ever to prove false or to deceive us. Now, you and I get to make a choice about whether or not we want to accept that. 
Hear me? Do we accept that? I've made my decision. It's impossible for God ever to be proven false. That's the choice I've made. I mean, I don't care what I look at, what the promises are. Well, whatever, okay, if something's not happening, one thing I know, you know, I, I may see there are some things I don't know. But when I don't know something, I always run to something I do know. That may sound corny, but that's what you have to do. When I don't know why such and such say isn't happening, see, the, the anchor that's, that takes my hope beyond the veil, this hope that I have, is in knowing that it's impossible for him to ever be proven false or to ever deceive us. He's, that's not... That's outside the realm of who God is. That's not part, that's impossible. It's not part of his, his it's none of his attributes. It's a, it can't be. It just can't be. So, okay, I may not understand this, but you know what? I've made a decision to understand this. My God is perfect. It's impossible for him to ever be proven false. It's impossible for him to ever deceive. See, he, he can't deceive us. It's not even that he might, he, see, you've got to get beyond it's not like, hmm, I don't know, man, I'm not tricky. <laughs> no, it, it can't. It's not part of his DNA. He can't. I said he can't. It's impossible. It's like a, a cat will never be a dog. Now, see, you'll laugh at that, right? But a cat will never be a dog. And can you believe that? This is why, again, don't get angry at me now. A man ain't a woman. And a woman can't be a man. Because he's absolute. That, that's, you know, that's not a matter, that's not being, <laughs> that's not being mean, that's just saying that's an absolute. It just is. Okay in which it is impossible. Now, let me confirm. This was so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God ever to prove false or deceive us, we who, we, us, who have fled to him for refuge, in other words, why has he done all this? It, he's done this that we might have mighty indwelling strength and that we might be strongly encouraged to grasp and to hold fast this hope that's been appointed for us and set before us. And then he goes on, he said, now guys, we have this hope, this hope right here, about knowing that it's impossible for him ever to prove false, ever to deceive. Now this hope is a sure and a steadfast anchor of my soul. This is why I won't panic. This is why, what's an anchor do? Yeah, I will remain stable. Now we have this hope as the sureness, steadfast anchor of the soul. It cannot slip. It cannot break down under whoever steps out upon it. A hope that reaches farther. In other words, it's not something that's just down here. See, God's promise reaches into the very certainty of the presence of God within the veil, heaven. This is something that's from heaven. Anybody still here? Yeah. It's from heaven. Okay, now then, like I said, do we want to live earth to heaven or heaven or God's ways are released to us? God's ways are released to us, like in this case, like understanding how faith works. God's ways are released to us to bring heaven to us, not so that we try to cause earth to change heaven. Now, we're going to look at a couple of things, just like four passages of Scripture, uh, again about some healings, but I just want you to see this one other aspect, and I'm sure you've heard these four. <clears throat> Let's go to the centurion, Matthew chapter 8, if you would, real quickly, and I just want you to see some things there. I remember when I first saw this, gosh, way back when, when I was at Ramah, man, way back when, before dirt, a long time ago. Uh, remember how it really hit me. But anyhow, so let's look at this passage again. Again, how, what does faith look like and how, as it were, is faith released? So the centurion situation, start at verse 5. Matthew 8, verse 5. 
As Jesus went into Capernaum, a centurion came up to him, begging him and saying, Lord, my servant boy is lying at the house, paralyzed and distressed with intense pain. Now, Jesus just said, because this is his nature, I will come and restore him. You see, all of these, remember these 14 specific acts of healing that are in the four Gospels. Some say 15, some say 16. My way I've read it is 14, whatever. You know, remember, they're just the tip of the iceberg. We all know the verse, John 20, the last verse of John 21, rather. Had we written all the things that we witnessed, the world itself would not be able to hold the books. I still one of my, I love it. So the Holy Ghost felt it good to give these samples for us. But anyhow, so he said, Jesus said, I will come. But the centurion replied to him, Lord, I'm not worthy or fit to have you come under my roof. But what does he say? And the Amplified says, but only speak the word. Or King James says, speak, but just, you know, speak, only speak, speak the word, but speak the word only, what King James says, speak the word. So the centurion says, speak the word. And what does Jesus do then? He said, oh, well, first of all, he explains why he does it. He said, for I am a man subject to authority, with soldiers subject to me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. In other words, he's, again, he understands authority. He's a Roman centurion. They've been trained their entire life. Normally, from this stage, to be a centurion, you had to be of a particular noble aspect of the, royal, of the Roman citizenry. And they started from when they were about set four, no, 14, 15 years old to be trained as a centurion. That's all they were marshaled in. They were trained, 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 trained. It's not a suggestion when I ask you to do something. For you not to do something? I'm the centurion for you under me to not do something? Well, you're going to be beaten with many, many, many stripes. That's just the way it is. Because that happens every time, too. No, 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 no. You simply obey. But he said he, what he understood is I'm somebody under authority. So in hearing about Jesus, what happened? He saw something that absolutely reminded him, showed him, wow, this man... This man carries something, carries an authority over not just stuff and not just people, but over anything. And the way he works is through this authority. And he said, I know what authority looks like. Authority means is released by words. Authority is released by words. So he said, speak the word only. Verse 10, when Jesus heard him, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, who adhered steadfastly, conforming to his example, of him, I tell you truly, I have not found so much faith, that the King James says, such great faith. I tell you truly, I have not found so much faith, so much. He calls this a whole lot of faith. In other words, to believe the word only. He calls it a whole lot of faith. I tell you truly, I have not found so much faith as this with anyone, even in Israel. Now jump down to verse 13. Then to the centurion, Jesus said, go. Now, several places in the Scripture, like I said, I don't have time to go through all of them, but I want you to catch the pattern again. You've heard me, you know, the Bible exposes patterns of how the Lord works. Then to the centurion, Jesus said, go, it shall be done for you. Now watch, as you have believed, as you have believed, right? And the servant boy was restored to health at that very moment, okay? But now did you, I want you to hold that because we're going to go to the next word. He said, as thou hast believed. Okay, now he said, Jesus said, okay, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do according to what you've said, what you believe. Now, go to, um, just close to go to Matthew 9, just next door, verse 27 to 29. Matthew 9, 27, as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, shouting loudly, have pity and mercy on us, son of David. When he reached the house and went in, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying what? According to your faith and trust and reliance on the power invested in me, be it done to you. Right? Turn to Luke 18. Then I'll make my statement here in just a second. 
Luke 18. See, these, this is this, this law of faith that works every single time. And again, you study the scripture to see how Jesus functions. Luke 18, starting at verse um, 35. As he came near to Jericho, it occurred that a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he asked what it meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So the blind guy, he shouts, saying, Jesus, son of David, take a pity, have mercy on me. But those who were in front reproved him, telling him to keep quiet. Yet he screamed and shrieked so much the more, son of David, take pity and have mercy on me. Then Jesus stood still and ordered that he be led to him. And again, it sounds funny, doesn't it? When he came, Jesus asked him, the guy's blind, so you, I think, you know, Jesus probably knows. But nevertheless, why? why did, see, this is what yes. you have to catch here. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, why would you say that to a blind man? If you, you hear what I'm trying to say, isn't it obvious that the guy wants to see? But you've got to catch this about Jesus. I'll just say it now. Jesus has to find out what you believe. This is the point because Jesus in all these places responds to where you believe. Differently for different people. Speak the word only. Okay. Boom. Lay hands on. Okay. He responds to where you believe. Now, this is a big deal for most Christians because a lot of them just try something. You need to make a decision about what you are in actuality able to believe, something that you full well know, I will be able, I will, quote, hold fast my profession of faith. I'm not going to cast away my confidence. I'm just going to be patient so that I might receive the will of God after I believe. But you have to pray. What, am I able to go? In other words, can can I actually, in other words, it's not just see this. It's, we're talking about people who get inspired for a moment and say something. But, you know, just like the whole parable of the, of the sower, you know, Mark 4, but then persecution comes on the kind of the word or the cares of this world, distractions of sage come and boom, what they said they believe or what they, you know, their inspiration is gone. It was there for a moment, but then it's gone. What do you want? He says, and then he has to, and you know, and he he responds to where you believe. So, and then we're going to go to Mark five because with Mark five is by far, it's, to me, it's always been the best passage in the world. But anyhow, so he said, <clears throat> okay, what do you want me to do? Verse forty two, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. But again, your faith. See, he didn't. He it's. Yes, it's about Jesus' power, but please, I hope you can. I know it's so basic to the, to the bottom line of what faith teaching is about, but again, see, don't just be turned off of that phrase, faith teach. Jesus taught faith, but catch it here. Jesus said the reason you're going to get, the reason you're going to get what you're asking for is your faith. It's what you believe. Your faith, is made, your faith, your trust and confidence that springs from your faith in God has healed you. And instantly he receives his sight. Now go to Mark 5. Mark 5, of course, is Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. I mean, guys, you could read this every Sunday, all day Sunday. And I mean, honestly, it's so powerful. There's so much here. Praise God forever. I can't believe it's already three minutes after one. Um, okay. Number five, starting verse 22. Then one of the rulers, Mark 5, 22, then one of the rulers of the synagogue came up, Jairus by name, and seeing Jesus, he prostrated him at his feet, prostrated himself at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Now watch, what's he do? This is where he releases his faith. This is what I'm trying to get across to you. Faith is something that needs to be intentionally released but then you need to be able to hold fast to where you released your faith. He said, come lay your hands on her 
so that she may be healed and live. That's where his faith was. Come, lay your hands on her, and she'll be healed. And what's Jesus do? He went with him. He responds to where this guy believes. And Jesus went with him. A great crowd kept following him and pressed him from all sides so as almost to suffocate him. That's important. And now there was a woman who had a flow of blood 12 years, who had endured much suffering under the hands of many physicians. She'd spent all that she had, was no better, but instead grew worse. Verse 27, she'd heard. Well, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. She heard the reports concerning Jesus, and she came up behind him in the throng and touched his Why did she touch his garment? Well, because of verse 28. For this is what she kept saying. This is where she released her faith. This was what her faith was in. This, say it in a word that you'll, in a way you'll understand. She kept saying, if I only kept, that means over and over again. If I can only touch his garments, I'll be restored to health. If I can just touch him, if I can just touch his garments, if I can touch his garments, day by day goes by, day by days go by. I've heard about Jesus. I'm going to find out where this guy is. And of course, there's so much teaching, like I said, because a woman with a flow of blood, she's supposed to not go out in the midst of people at all. I'm sure you've been taught, taught about this. Um, if she does go out, there's supposed to be a person go before her, a person go behind her saying, unclean, unclean. That makes you feel good, you know, walking down the street and got somebody in front behind. Unclean, unclean, unclean. She'd evidently had some substance, spent all that she had, been tons of nothing, nothing. She's gotten no better. But she heard, this man heals. You know what? If I can just touch the hem of his garment. She kept saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. And this to me is what is astounding here because it says, so she kept saying, but anyhow, so she'd heard, verse 27 again, she heard, she came up behind him and she touched his garment, right? For she kept saying, if I only touch the garment, I shall be, verse 20, and it says, immediately her flow of blood was dried up at the source and suddenly she felt in her body that she was healed of her distressing ailment. But this is the part that's just so awesome. And Jesus, knowing it says in himself, that the power, so he knew what it felt like. Something happened when he prayed for people. Something, he sensed the anointing. He understood. Stuff went from him that caused healing. Those of us that have been in ministry for a while, we've all experienced something. You can actually feel, physically feel sometimes when there's real strong faith. You pray for somebody, you just, it's like you can feel it. You can feel it suck out of your hands. It's a real trip. But think about this. Now, remember it said that people were surrounding, they're on the way to Jairus' house. They're being suffocated. There's so many people, they're armpit to armpit like this. Everybody's touching Jesus. But think about this. But boom, he feels, bam, power come out of him. And he said, who touched me? <laughs> and the disciples, remember what it says here, the disciples say, uh, kept in verse 31, you see the crowd pressing hard around you from all sides, and you ask, who touched me? And we're just saying, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. But see, this is this wonderful statement. How do you say it? It sounds so wonderful anyway you say it. This touch was different than all the other touches. What made this touch different? Faith. She'd heard and she'd been saying. She released her faith, if I can touch the hem of his garment. That's where she released her faith. Now, this is the beauty of this, though. I mean, the spectacular part of this to me. Jesus doesn't even know she's around. Think about this. Faith put a demand on his anointing. You hear me? Faith put a demand on him without him even being relevant or revelatory about her being here. In other words, he didn't, she didn't have his attention. But that stuff she carried has faith as substance. It had so much substance that when she touched, when she followed through with what she believed, it caused the power of healing to come out of Jesus. And Jesus failed to come out of him and said, who touched me? And the disciples went, dude, everybody's touching me. No, something was different about this touch. And then it says in verse 32, still he kept looking around to see who had done it. But then it says this, but the woman, knowing what had been done for her, though alarmed and frightened and trembling, because again, she's not supposed to be out there, she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Everybody say the whole truth. Told him the whole truth. And verse 34, what's it say? He said to her, daughter, your 
faith, right? Right? See, what you believe. Your faith, your trust and confidence springing from faith in God has restored you to health. Go in peace and be continually healed, freed from your distress and bodily disease. We go back to verse 33. It says that she fell down. Into, now, always, this is humorous the way I say it all the time, but you got to catch it. Karen's smiling already because she's heard this teaching many times. But really think about it. Remember, this woman has spent all that she had on many physicians. She's got a lot of story to tell. She fell, falls down in a seat and tells him the whole story. Now, again, as we say, women, all us men know that women are detail-oriented. Women are fine print people. When a woman tells a story, it's an hour and a half. When a man tells a story, it's five minutes. That's just the way it is. I didn't say anything was right or wrong. I'm just saying that's the way it is. All the men who agree say amen. Those of you who are brave enough to say it. <laughs> amen. It's true. But think about this. Now, what? But now suddenly, but this is the place that really gets me here. This truth. So it's such a powerful. So Jesus is saying, now think about this. So many people around that you're suffocating with people. This woman is at his feet, and Jesus is sitting here, and he's listening, and she's telling the whole story. All the physicians tried this, I tried that. I went here, I went there. Now think about, where's Jesus going? He's on the way to Jairus' house. What's Jairus' situation? His daughter's at the very point of death. Now, if you were a daddy, and this is your baby, you know, how serious would you be? My daughter's at the point of And so think about it. Here's Jesus. Here's the one with the issue of blood. He's here. Think about Jairus. Jairus sitting there going, I mean, really think about it. And for real, I mean, it, it is humorous the way I present it. But think about how serious it must have been. It's like, you know, Jesus, this is cool, but like I was here first. I mean, you know, whoa, my daughter's at the point of death, okay? And then to compound it, what happens next? It says in verse 35, while Jesus was still, in other words, while Jesus was saying, go in peace, be, your faith has healed you. While he was speaking, there came somebody from the ruler's house, and he says this, Jairus, um, your daughter's died. Don't bother, uh, why bother or distress the teacher any further? Now, this is a big deal here because your daughter's died. Now, this is where, again, you have to be able to stretch your faith out because your daughter's died. Uh, that, sounds, that sounds in the natural like something that's too late. Too late. But Jesus, verse 36, you ought to read this in a Greek lexicon. Overhearing the guy. Here's the guy, Jairus. Uh, your daughter's dead. I'm sorry, man, but don't bother. Jairus is going, what's the first, what's the first thing that... But as a father, what must have happened? What must have come into his soul? Uh, but before he could say a word, because that's what the Greek says, Jesus heard, he turns to the woman, overhearing but ignoring what they said. Jesus said to the ruler, do not be seized with alarm. That's the first thing that comes with a bad report. The first thing that comes with a bad report is not going to happen. That'll happen to them. It won't happen to me. Whatever it may be, bad report. Jesus said to the Lord, do not be seized because that's what alarm does. It seizes you. Don't be struck with fear. Here it says, only keep on believing. You know what it literally says in the Greek is the word sheket. It means shut up. What he said is, Jairus, don't open your mouth because you know why? If you confess something out of alignment, with where you first released your faith, you might abort what we're on the way to do. You said, come lay your hands on my daughter that she might live and she should be healed. You've just had a horrible report. But don't let fear seize you. Don't say a word. Only believe. Only believe. But I was just told my daughter's dead. But see, here's Jesus. He's functioning on another plane. He wants Jairus to stay connected to this law, this supernatural law called faith. And then he goes, verse 37, the glory of said, he permits no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. 
He took his three, as it were, the big three, the guys that he knew. You know, you know those who can really be strong with you. When they arrived at the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he looked carefully and with understanding at the tumult and the people weeping and wailing loudly. And he goes in and he says to them, Why do you make an uproar and weep? The little girl is not dead, but sleeping. Verse 40. And they began to laugh at him and jeer him. Now think about it. These are people that are weeping and crying. But what people don't understand culturally, when somebody died, they were like little groups that were hired mourners. It was what you did. So she was dead long enough for mourners to be spoken to and for mourners to come to the house. But that doesn't move Jesus. Jesus comes in and says, see, Jesus protects faith if you'll let him. If you'll listen to him, he'll protect yours. Why do you make an uproar and weep? The little girl is not dead. She's just sleeping. And they laughed and jeered at him, but he put them all out. And taking the child, he put them all out. And this is another teaching. To really get miracles, you have to rid the immediate environment of all unbelief. I said, to get miracles, you have to rid the immediate environment of unbelief. Get rid of it. Push it out. You've got to push it out. This is why sometimes, like I said, you don't get 37 people to pray with you. You need one or two that actually understand what it means to agree, to agree, to make a har harmony, to sympathize with you. You don't want somebody going, oh, well, so, hey, man, I'll believe with you, brother. And then they walk out there going, he's dead. <laughs> they were like, he ain't going to make it, he's dead, you know, he'll never, no, that's the, no, no, that's just, that's horrible. He, but it, so he takes the child's father and mother, in other words, somebody's going to be serious, he takes the father and mother and those who are with him, he goes into where the little girl's lying, he grips her by the hand, and he says unto her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, again, he doesn't pray, he says, little girl, I say unto you, arise for the sleep of death. Instantly, the girl got up, starts walking around where she was 12 years old, and to say the least, they were utterly astonished and overcome with amazement, and he strictly commanded, warned them, no one should know this, and he expressly told them, give her something to eat. Now, I'm done. <laughs> I, 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 what I wanted you to catch get this morning, like I said, is this, this aspect, this part of faith. Jesus Christ responds to where you believe. Our job is to keep believing. Our job is to hold fast to the profession of our faith. Let's be honest. How many things come to rattle your faith? How many bad reports come? Remember in Isaiah, whose report will you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. Whose report do you want to believe? Because remember, him doing his part is absolute. But him doing his absolute part evidently is depending upon us being able to cooperate with this supernatural law called faith that he put here for us so that he could get to us. Uh, anybody hear me at all? To me, it's so powerful. But he responds to where you believe. So again, Pray, make a decision before you jump in and say, I'm going to, well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. But where are you able? See, this is why faith and belief, it starts as a decision. And then you pray because you do need to be honest, Father. This is, you know, because the issue is Jesus, it really doesn't. See, he is love. He doesn't care if it's speak the word only or if it's my help my unbelief. He, he just wants to bless. He is love. He's unchangeable. I want you well. I want you blessed. I want you blessed. I want you okay. I want you at peace. I want you to enjoy the fullness of what I paid for. I just want that. But he said, I need to find out where you believe so that I can respond where you're at because that's how my father made these things work. <laughs> that's how my father made these things work. It's his way. That's why seek ye first the kingdom. Find out how the kingdom functions and then everything else will be added to you. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, that's my offering for today to you, okay?
Oh, glory to God. So, Father, we give you thanks once again. I just tell you, I love your words so much. I love this stuff. I love this stuff. I love to see it go to work in people's lives. And, Father, like I said in the very beginning, though, this is a whole lot of information, but I'm praying that it become true revelation. I'm praying that their eyes of their heart, they go, I see this. And that that truth engraved upon the hearts becomes so loud that it shuts and silences the voices of all the unbelief round about them. Just like the song we sang earlier about it's going to be louder than all the unbelief. I'm going to raise a hallelujah. It's going to be louder than all the unbelief. Father, help them see why songs like this are even written, where they come from. But Father, this is available to whosoever will. And it's absolute. Because it is impossible for you to ever prove false. And it's impossible for you to ever deceive. So we can set our hope upon these truths. And this hope will go right into the very presence of the Father in heaven itself. We can be absolutely assured that if we ask anything according to your will, we know with absolute settled persuasion we have it. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 